0: Morning. So good to see you all. For those of you who are visiting, uh, hello. My name's Dan. So I think it's God's been doing some incredible things this morning. Right from the prayer meeting um, before we started. For those of you that don't know, we do meet downstairs for prayer We're at eight thirty. Come join us. Um, and uh, from the prayer meeting, right through the worship and everything, it's so clear that God is trying to get our attention and God is trying to do something in us. And I don't think he's done yet. And um, this week, um, uh, Nardis and I and Chad and Quinny, we've been talking and like God's just been reminding us that the word of God, there's power. And whilst, you know, the words of man, they can be helpful. Um, In the word of God, there is power. So I'd like to bring a little word of God for you this morning. Thank you, Quinny. You can open my water. Splendid. So this morning, I want to start by uh, telling you a little bit about myself and one of the really fun things that I did in life that got me into trouble. So, um, when I was younger than the young I am now, back when we used to live in Sunningdale, I used to really enjoy playing five a side. So, you guys are familiar with the concept of five a side, right? It's soccer, football, except it's you know five on each team. Um, it's a violent sport uh, it's not for the faint-hearted. It's a contact sport. It figures somewhere between, I would say, rugby and karate. That's where you'll find five-a-side. Okay. And because of that, I used to get injured all the time. Like, most weeks I'd come back with a knocker or a brew. Sometimes it was a, a bit worse. And, um, yeah, and <laughs> Renee used to, like, I used to come home limping. And Renee would just look at me. One eyebrow would go up and just say, are you expecting sympathy? <laughs> no. So this one time I was playing football and um, I took a shot. And as I took a shot, I felt my, uh, my my ankle tweak. And what had happened is that as I'd gone and I would twisted around, um, I'd actually done a partial tear in my Achilles in my right foot. Um, It was only a partial tear. It was quite sore, though. So I got home that night. The wife, to her credit, after raising the eyebrow, she did look after me. And she gave me the ice pack and everything I needed. And I wanted to get straight back into playing. But the reality is, if any of you has ever done anything with your Achilles before, it's about a six-week recovery, generally. Um, I wasn't very good at sitting down and just taking it though. So what happened is that the next week, the WhatsApp group went on and it said, hey guys, it's time for the game, who's in? And I was like, well, I can't see where my ankle ends and my calf begins because it's so swollen. So I was like, okay, no, I'm, I'm, I'm going to you know, sit out of this one. Next week, five aside, who's in? Um, this point, I was feeling a little stronger. I thought, I'm just going to like just... Jog up and down the passageway at home. So I was just like, is it going to be strong? The screams I let out set off all the cats in the neighborhood. So I knew that wasn't going to happen. The week later, five aside, who's in? And I was like, I'm feeling a bit stronger now. I'm feeling good. And like, I'd been knocking the ball against the wall. And so I said, you know what, babes, I think I'm good. I've been reading on the internet and the internet says that you can recover from an Achilles strain in as little as three weeks. She says, I think you should take my counsel. I said, no, I'm feeling good, I'm feeling strong. I really think you should take my counsel and wait a while. So I went to football and in the first half, you know what? I was back with a bang, this was splendid. I was fresh, I'd had three weeks out recovering I was an absolute, I was like Lionel Messi on the 5 side field. I was dribbling all over the place, I was scoring goals, I was thinking, you know what, I'm glad I didn't listen to my wife, because I am enjoying this so much. Halftime came, we all came off like, this is great, I ran back onto the field for the second half to go for another, you know, big bang, and the big bang was the sound of my Achilles going. Hit the deck like a sack of potatoes, um, the guys came around me, what you done? And uh, yeah, they had to carry me back to the car. Um, Fortunately, I've got an automatic, so I just about got home. Uh, Walked in the door, looked at my wife. Yeah. So, why did I tell you this story of my own foolishness and misery? Well, in reality, I don't think I'm unique in having a story like this. I think there are times that all of us have made decisions that seem to be smart to ourselves. They seem like a good choice. We've made them based on what we think is the best way of doing something, what we thought was a good idea. And then we suddenly find ourselves walking out the consequences of the good idea that we had. And sometimes the consequences aren't what we expected. Sometimes there's a bit, (laughs) there's fallout from the decisions we make. So, This morning, I want to give us just a little insight into how to make good decisions. So if you want a title for my message this morning, it would be, Be Not Wise in Your Own Eyes. Be Not Wise in Your Own Eyes. I'm not going to use myself as more examples, though, because I've embarrassed myself enough with my stupid decisions. So I'm going to use someone else's stupid decisions as an example. And because we go to Joshua Generation Church, let's use Joshua. He seems like a good target this morning. So I'm going to give you some context. So we're going to get to scriptures now, but I'm going to give you some context. God has told Joshua to lead the Israelites into the promised land. Okay, So the, the Israelites are all ready to go. They, they've been told, you need to wipe out, to kill all the people in the promised land because they're an evil nation. There's evil nations there. Take out the evil nations and establish God's own kingdom in the promised land. That's what they've been called to do. So Joshua starts this. He leads the Israelites across the Jordan, and he starts the conquest by defeating the great cities of Jericho and Ai. Okay, you know the stories of Jericho, you know, so this, this was where we're at in history, okay? Joshua's in there. They're doing great things. Like God is for them. And they're on a high. They are like, wow, this is amazing. God is going before us. Walls are falling down. We are taking ground. You know, this is like, this is the high of the high. This is, this is great. This is me at halftime thinking I can play football better than Ronaldo himself. At this point, Joshua gathers the Israelites together and renews the covenant with God and the people, and it is such a sweet, sweet moment. But then in Joshua chapter 9, there's this little side story that sneaks into the Bible. It's almost like not really part of the main story, but there's a little aside that sneaks in here, and I think it's very significant for us. You see, what happens, Joshua is now preparing to take the next cities. Joshua's saying, Okay, we've done all this stuff. God is with us. This is great. Renewing our covenant. Yes, come on. And as they're on this high, this group of travelers comes by. They're wearing tatty clothes, all worn out. The wine skins that they've got are all cracked and repaired and empty. Their bread has all gone moldy. So they're a pretty sorry band. And let's pick it up. This is Joshua 9 9 to 11, where we're going to pick it up. So. Um, Joshua says, Who are you? Who are you, you travelers? They said, Your servants have come from a very distant country because of the fame of the Lord your God. For we've heard reports of him, all that he did in Egypt, all that he did to the two kings of the Amorites east of the Jordan, Sihon king of Heshbon, and Og king of Bashan who reigned in Ashtaroth. All our elders and all those living in our country said to us, Take provisions for your journey. Go and meet them and say to them, we are your servants. Make a treaty with us. Wow. This is good stuff. I mean, get it. This is like this band of travelers from some land have come and said, God is good. We've heard God is good. He's amazing. He's doing incredible things. We've heard about it. We want to, we want to be your people. Make a treaty with us. We want to be your servants. We, oh, God is amazing. The news of God has spread far and wide. amazing, And like you can imagine, if you're Joshua and the people, they're like, wow, Jericho and I have fallen. News is spreading of God's goodness. Like, ah. So here's a question for you. Genuinely, I- I'm interested to know, what would we do in this situation? Like, you've got these people, worn out, tatty clothes, limping in and they're like wow we've traveled here because your God is so good we want to be your servants make a treaty with us what would you do would you feed them yeah they're seeking God would you make a treaty with them you'd be like yeah would you you'd take them on board right you'd love them wouldn't you this would be good because God's amazing Let's see how Joshua responded. Joshua nine fourteen to 15 says how Joshua responded. The Israelites sampled their provisions, but did not inquire of the Lord. Then Joshua made a treaty of peace with them to let them live, and the leaders of the assembly ratified it by oath. So basically, they, they looked at their stuff, they went, oh, you've obviously come far because your bread's moldy and everything, so, you know, you must have come far to be here, you're all kind of worn out, you're all tired, yeah, um, I mean, great, I mean, like, listen, we, we want to help you, we want to help you, we want to love you, and you're after, you're, your heart is for God, so we're with you, and so, yeah, let's, let's have a meet peace treaty, we'll put we'll a peace treaty together, we'll swear, peace between us. And their decision was based on two things. And I think their decision is based on the same two things that we often do. So I'm going to show you what those two things are, and then we'll see whether that was a good idea. The fact that I'm asking whether that was a good idea tells you that it probably, yeah, okay, we'll get there. All right. So there were two idols they used to make their decision. The first idol was this, the idol of independence. The idol of independence You see, in verse 14, just up there, it said, they did not ask counsel from the Lord. They made the decision themselves. You see, we all like to make decisions ourselves because we like to feel that we're in control. We do. It's a very basic human thing. We don't like to feel that things are outside of our own sphere of influence. We like to have control of things. Um, This is no surprise. We live in a society that tells us that it's great to be master of your own destiny. No, they, they, they say to us things like, you know, um, find your own truth and create your own reality. I mean, basically, your whole destiny and finding your own destiny is just tied up with what society says. It's about us and us shaping what that looks like. We want to be in charge and we don't want anyone or anything telling us what to do. Which is kind of how sin started. If we just go back to Genesis 3, 1 to 6, it says this. Genesis 3, 1 to 6. Now the serpent was more crafty than any of the wild animals the Lord God had made. He said to the woman, Did God really say you must not eat from any tree in the garden? The woman said to the serpent, We may eat fruit from the trees in the garden, but God did say you must not eat fruit from the tree that is in the middle of the garden, and you must not touch it or you will die. You'll not certainly die, the serpent said to the woman, for God knows that when you eat from it, your eyes will be opened and you will be like God, knowing good and evil. When the woman saw that the fruit of the tree was good for food and pleasing to the eye and also desirable for gaining wisdom, she took some and ate it. She also gave some to her husband who was with her and he ate it. You see, Eve was actually drawn to being wise in her own eyes. She wanted to be in control, to know what was what so that she would be like God. But the serpent had sold Eve a lie. You see, the tree of the knowledge of good and evil wasn't a tree of being wise with good and evil. It was just knowledge. Wisdom was not to eat of the tree. What the serpent had done is taken knowledge, put a hat on it, and called it wisdom. And the world does exactly the same with us today. They take knowledge, they put a hat on it, and call it wisdom. If I go onto my phone right now and I call up Google, I have the knowledge of the world at my fingertips. But it's not wisdom, it's just information. And sadly, what we do very often is we think the way to make wise decisions is to gather all the information we can so that we can make the best decision we can about things. And the enemy loves that. Because you know what the enemy does? He prods us and he pokes us. And he says, go on, make a decision, make a decision. Here's some information. Here's some more information. Someone says this, someone says that. Come on, make a decision. Before the enemy comes with a plan to make us move overseas, take us out of the fellowship that God's put us in, how often does it happen that we get a phone call from someone saying something like, you know what, your skills would be invaluable in the UK. You'd be so valued in that place. I don't think you're probably appreciated where you are right now for what you really can bring. Pretty soon after that, an opportunity will come because the enemy's already primed you. Before the enemy comes with a plan to get us involved in an inappropriate conversation with a woman who isn't our wife, how often do we get a compliment from somebody saying, you're such an awesome guy, you've got such a way with words, you're so gentle and kind. You think, wow, that's really nice, they'd say that about me. The enemy's setting you up for something that's going to come after, where you're going to have a decision to make. Before the enemy comes with a plan to cause offense between you and somebody else in the church, how often does someone before that come to you and say something like, you know, you're such an incredible person. You're so perceptive. I don't think other people always see that in you. But if they don't see it in you, it's just because they don't understand you and they don't value you for who you really are. Now you're stirred up. You're like, oh yeah, oh, I'm a good person. People don't understand me. You're being set up for something that's coming after where you're going to have to make a decision and the enemy has already primed you to fail. They say pride comes before a fall. The fall is always going to be a result of a decision we make. Joshua and his men were proud. They'd taken Jericho, they'd taken Ai. They seem to have already forgotten that it was God that did that for them. So they make their decision, number one, based on the idol of independence, that they made the decision without seeking God's counsel. But there was a second idol that they used to make their decision, and that was the idol of intellect. The idol of intellect. I don't know about you, but... I kind of get slightly tickled by... um by what people post on Facebook sometimes when it comes to, like, puzzles and Wordle. Uh, who played Wordle? Everyone done that Wordle puzzle? I see some of you have, right? Or Sudokus. Or, you know you get these things, like, on Facebook, you know, um, Nigel had five daughters, one of whom was Mary, and the other three were called whatever, and can you pick out the name of the, his sixth cousins twice removed? And you're like, oh, I can figure this puzzle out, and you post. And everyone comments on all these puzzles. Everyone wants to show how smart they are to figure stuff out. You know what, it's like we have this need to like have our intellect out there to say we're smart. And if people aren't smart enough to figure out how smart we are, we better tell them. But I would suggest to you that in actual fact it goes further than just doing puzzles on Facebook. I would say that in fact our whole worldview in society is built on the idol of intellect. Any concept outside of our intellect of what our thinking could be is like, we just can't even, we just laugh at it. Like the idea that the world was created by God for a purpose or that there was this worldwide flood that shaped the whole earth. I mean, those ideas are just crazy, right? So we just mock people like that in the world. God knew that we were going to make intellect our idol. 2,000 years ago, the Apostle Peter wrote this. This is 2 Peter 3, 3 to 6. Above all, you must understand that in the last days, scoffers will come. Scoffing, that's mocking, and following their own evil desires. They will say, where is this coming, he promised. Ever since our ancestors died, everything goes on as it has since the beginning of creation. But they deliberately forget that long ago by God's word the heavens came into being and the earth was formed out of water and by water. By these waters also the world of that time was deluged and destroyed. Do you get what God's saying here? He's basically saying there's going to become a time where people are going to worship intellect so much they're going to ignore the facts of what I did and forget them so that they can worship their own intellect. Does that sound familiar? Does that kind of sound like the world we're living in today? Joshua and his leaders took pride in their intellect too. They didn't feel the need to ask for God's opinion. Why not? Because they were independent? Yes. And secondly, because they thought they were perfectly capable of figuring out what was going on. They weren't stupid. I mean, they got the provisions and they tasted them. And they were like, oh, this bread's moldy. These wineskins are empty. These people are wearing tattered clothes. They must have come from a far-off land. They're desperately in need of help. So our intellect says, these guys are golden. Let's make a peace treaty. You can see this Joshua 9, 7 to 8. It says, the Israelites said to the Hivites, perhaps you live near us. How can we make a treaty with you? We are your servants, they said to Joshua. But Joshua asked, who are you and where do you come from? And then they go on and look at their provisions and things and figure out that these guys are okay. So these two idols were used to make that decision, and it's the same two idols that we often use to make ours. We make decisions based on the fact that at we want our independence, we feel like we're the ones to make the decision. And secondly, we make it based on our intellect, what we think we can figure out. Let's see how it worked out for Joshua. So who were these guys that had traveled from afar seeking to serve the God of the Israelites? Joshua 9, 3-5 to tells us who these guys were. When the people of Gibeon, now Gibeon was the next city that was going to be reached after Jericho and Ai. When the people of Gibeon heard what Joshua had done to Jericho and Ai, they resorted to a ruse. They went as a delegation whose donkeys were loaded with worn out sacks and old wineskins, cracked and mended. They put worn and patched sandals on their feet and wore old clothes. All of their food supply was dry and moldy. These people were not who they appeared to be. They were actually the next city that God had destined for destruction. And they knew that the way to get the Israelites to have enemies in their midst was to go to them and appeal to their independence and intellect to make a peace treaty. And it worked. There's the question. Have we ever done that? Have we ever made decisions in life that seem good to us and seem good to what our thinking is, but in actual fact, it may not be what God wants for us? So that job opportunity that looked so awesome, that ticked every single box, could have been a Gibeonite. Or the relationship that looked so awesome. You know, the guy that ticked every box of all the lists that you made. I want my guy to be this. Every tick in that list. You could be a Gibeonite. or that overseas transfer, you've always wanted to travel, you have this opportunity to go to the UK, to live there. You've got accommodation, you've got finances. Every door is open. Could be a Gibeonite. And now, now the Israelites had made this treaty, they were forced by the treaty to let the Gibeonites live in their land. This is the land that was supposed to be God's. Joshua nine sixteen to twenty say this. Three days after they made the treaty with the Gibeonites, the Israelites heard that they were neighbors living near them. So they now find out they've been tricked. So the Israelites set out, and on the third day came to their cities: Gibeon, Kephirah, Beeroth, and Kiriath-Jerim. But the Israelites did not attack them because the leaders of the assembly had sworn an oath to them by the Lord, the God of Israel. The whole assembly grumbled against the leaders. But all the leaders answered, We've given them our oath by the Lord, the God of Israel, and we cannot touch them now. This is what we'll do to them. We'll let them live so that God's wrath will not fall on us for breaking the oath we swore to them. There's a lesson here. You may make decisions based on what you think is a good idea, and there may be bad decisions. You realize after the event, I've made a bad decision. This isn't panning out the way it should have done. Then you probably realize, I didn't really ask God. I made this decision myself. And now I'm in a pickle. So what do you do? I've spoken to many believers over the years that said to me, I made a bad decision. I need you to help me figure out how I can get out of it. I mean, I've heard people say things like, you know, genuinely I've heard this. I've married someone and it was the wrong choice. I don't think I submitted it to God. I think this was a fleshly decision. But it's broken and this marriage isn't working. I need to know how I can get out of this decision. They say, I was in financial trouble. I was running, it was just, it was not good And so I took a loan out. I I took a loan and I I started to pay it off. But then I lost my job and now I can't pay the loan back. And I'm in a bit of a pickle. I need you to help me tell me. How can I get out of this situation? I've moved overseas. I thought it was going to be the land of milk and honey. It's not. I'm working ridiculous hours. And all I'm doing is working 10 hours a day behind a bar and sleeping in a cupboard. I'm in a terrible situation. How do I get out of it? I hate to put a heavy on you, but I need you to tell you something. If you've gotten yourself into a situation because you didn't ask God, then if you can't exit that situation without honoring God, God will require to you to remain in that situation. You may have to stay in the place that's a consequence of your decision so that you can honor God in the consequences. It might cost you. It cost the Israelites. Many years after this story in Joshua, King Saul, who wasn't a particularly good king, But he had this thing where he saw the Gibeonites. The Gibeonites were living in the land of Israel because they had been um, this treaty that had to be honored. And it had been a bit of a a problem to the Israelites to have these Gibeonites right in the middle of Israel. So King Saul had taken on himself, I'm going to finish the job that Joshua didn't. I'm going to wipe out the Gibeonites. So King Saul attacks them. Sometime after that, there was a famine in the land under King David. So that was... Um, who followed Saul. In 2 Samuel 21, 1-2, it says this. During the reign of David, there was a famine for three successive years. So David sought the face of the Lord. The Lord said, it is on account of Saul and his blood-stained house. It is because he put the Gibeonites to death. Do you understand this? God is basically saying, you did not honor the circumstances that were your own decision. You had to honor me in it, but you didn't. You dishonored me. The king summoned the Gibeonites and spoke to them. Now, the Gibeonites were not a part of Israel, but survivors of the Amorites. The Israelites had sworn to spare them, but Saul in his zeal for Israel and Judah had tried to annihilate them. David actually has to hand over seven of Saul's sons to be put to death in order that the blood guilt is paid and the famine can be lifted. It's <laughs> Don't worry. There's hope, and I'm coming to the hope. But I can't give you hope without giving you the heavy. You have to realize that if you are in a situation of your own making where you've not consulted God, you need to honor God in that place. Because in actual fact, if you fight it, if you try and use more of your own abilities to try and dig your way out of that situation without surrendering it to God, it's actually going to get worse, not better. And you're going to dishonor God in it. But now I'm going to bring the hope. Because there's actually something beautiful that comes out of this. Something beautiful. You see, let's just deal with the obvious thing first. What should Joshua and his men have done? Consulted God. If they had asked God, surely God would have revealed to them who these guys were. And then they would have dealt with them as they should have done. Might not have read for nice reading, but they would have done what they should have done. The Gibeonites wouldn't have been in the land, and they could have taken those cities, and it would all have been great. So they should have listened to God. So the first lesson in this is this. When you have a decision you have to make, <laughs> consult God. I mean, that's an obvious thing to say, but hopefully you see the importance of it, right? Consulting God, what does that mean? Read your Bible. Pray. Seek his face. Listen. Talk to your brothers and sisters in the family of Christ. Be accountable. Ask them, what are you feeling? What are you hearing? Talk to your com leaders, your elders. Say, I've got this decision I have to make. What do you feel? My head says it's great. I really would love to do that, but is it the right thing? And be prepared to listen to counsel and make a decision based on what God wants for you and not what your own intellect or independence might tell you. But if you have made the decision and it's gone badly, it's not the end of the road. Because God is a God of the second chances, the third chances, the fourth chances. He redeems things. God is a God that doesn't necessarily take us out of the situation we've placed ourselves in. What he does is he redeems the situation we're in. So if you find yourself in a financial pickle or in a marriage that seems to have gone bad or a foreign country where it all feels very, very much weighty, if you seek God, he can actually bring you through in the place you're at. So that your circumstances can be one of victory and not one of defeat. And that is what happened to the Gibeonites. You see, the Gibeonites shouldn't have been in Israel. They were a thorn in the flesh of the Israelites. But you know what happened? The Gibeonites themselves ended up serving in the temple of God. One of David's mighty men was a Gibeonite. They served Israel. When Nehemiah rebuilt Jerusalem... So the Israelites have been exiled. They came back to Jerusalem. And it has this amazing part in Nehemiah, the book of Nehemiah, where each of the parts of the wall get built, and they're named. This family from this place did this as they reestablished the city of God on this earth. You know who was there? The Gibeonites. The Gibeonites are named as taking their place alongside the rest of the people of Israel and rebuilding what God was doing. And for you, that's the encouragement I want to leave with you. We all make bad decisions. Worse decisions than me deciding to play football when I shouldn't. (laughs) We're coming up to Christmas... Apparently, Christmas is the season of bad decisions. Make good ones. Seek God's counsel. Christmas is not a a holiday from God's wisdom. (laughs) Find God's wisdom over this holiday period. And if you find yourself in a situation where you know things are awkward... You've made decisions. you found yourself in a bad place. God is burning to redeem that thing. To bring life into that situation. He is able. He is willing. But the key thing you have to do is to take what you're in right now. Don't make excuses for it. But just take it to God. Repent and say, I didn't bring this to you. I bring this to you now. Please come into the situation. Open it up to your brothers and sisters, those people you're accountable to. Say, I've made these decisions, they were bad decisions, I admit my part in it, but I want God to be in this. Help me. Pray about it. Take it to God. And for some of you, maybe actually there's a huge decision you still need to make. 1 Corinthians three eighteen to 23 says this, Do not deceive yourselves. If any of you think you are wise by the standards of this age, you should become fools so that you may become wise. For the wisdom of this world is foolishness in God's sight. As it is written, he catches the wise in their craftiness, and again, the Lord knows that the thoughts of the wise are futile. So then, no more boasting about human leaders. All things are yours, whether Paul or Apollos or Cephas or the world or life or death or the present or the future, all of yours and you are of Christ and Christ is of God. If I could just have the worship team out, I'd like us to sing one last song in response. And just as they're they're getting ready, I'd like to ask this question. As you're sitting there, are you still trusting the idols of independence and intellect to bring you into a right relationship with God? Do you think your future is secured and your eternity is safe because you're in control of your own destiny and because you've thought a lot about it? Because, my friends, that's incredibly shaky ground to be fixing your eternity on. There's only one place where we can find our safety. And as that verse said, all things, life or death or the present or the future, all are yours and you are of Christ and Christ is of God. That is if Christ is in you. So this morning is an opportunity to seek God and his counsel with the most crucial decision you could possibly make. And that decision is to say, I give my life to God. I can't do it on my own. My decisions don't end up well. I want to make one decision right now, and that's for God. Jesus came to earth and he died on that cross to open the door to this decision that we can make. So for you this morning, I'd like to give you an invite. If there's a decision you need to make for the first time to let go of everything that's held you back and give your life to God, I'm going to ask you to do something really brave, to show that you're willing to make a decision. What I'm actually going to ask you to do, if you're willing to do that right now, is just stand where you are. If there's anyone that says, I need to make that decision for God right now, stand so we can pray with you. And if you're sitting there thinking, then don't think. Because that's what Joshua and his guys did and it didn't end up well for him. It's not about thinking about this, it's about doing. It's about saying, God, you have it all. I am yours. So for the last time, if there's anyone here who needs to make that decision for the first time, we so badly want to pray with you and introduce you to the God who loves us in our circumstances. Stand with me now. And for the rest of us, if something this morning has stirred you and you say, I want to recommit right now decisions I make to the Lord. And I want to change my heart to follow him and I want him to redeem my circumstance. We'd love to pray with you. So I'm going to ask you to be brave because I don't think God's messing around with this. What I'm going to ask you is this. If you want to recommit this morning and you would like people to pray with you, can you just come stand with me at the front here? So if that's you, you're saying, yes, I know my circumstances. I, I need to recommit to God. will not you just come stand at the front with me? And I know there's some of you that's feeling that way right now. Just come stand with me. We were praying for people earlier and I I felt like God's not done with us and I, I really don't feel he is done with us. I think there's more of you. I think there's more of you that's just feeling a burning in you. Yeah, I've not done this right. I need to just give everything to God. I need to seek him in every decision and redeem the circumstance I'm in. I know there's more of you. And you know what? I'd include myself. I make decisions that aren't good decisions. Every day. I need to put God first. So come stand with me. And for the rest of us here, I would actually love it if you guys could come and pray with these folk here. Because we are family and we do this together. So can I ask you, the rest of the church, can I just come ask you, come gather around these people at the front. I'm just going to ask the worship team to quietly sing a song over us. And as they just quietly sing over us, won't you just pray and minister to these guys standing here?